So if you had happened to pick up a paper in December of 1809, your world would have been shattered. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Yeah, I know, I know. But I guarantee you, if you had picked up a paper in December of 1809, your world would have been shattered because Napoleon I, Emperor of France, had just conquered Austria at Wagram. He had annexed the Illyrian provinces. That would be modern-day Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, and Herzegovina. I didn't know what it was either, so I had to look it up, okay? And he had just abolished the papal states. It was absolutely unthinkable. It was incredible. It was going to change the face of everything as we knew it. It was on the front page of every paper in the Western world in December of 1809. Now, tucked into those same papers, if you'd been so inclined to look throughout the year of 1809 you might have seen some birth announcements as well. Nothing overly significant, just a few new souls joining the human race, nothing big. Um, but, but if you had tucked in to those names and, and looked a little bit, um, for example, in France, you would have found the birth notice of one Louis-Simone Braille, who, of course, would invent the system that now is the standard for uh, us being able to allow people who are blind to be able to read. And if you were in Germany, you would have skinned over the birth announcement of one Jacob Ludwig Felix Mendelhausen, who you may not know very well, but Mendelhausen composed some of the best symphonies known in the Romantic era. In England, you would have glossed over the births of one Alfred Tennyson and one Charles Robert Darwin, one who impacted poetry and one who impacted science in ways that are still being explored today. In the United States, you would have glanced at an announcement for Oliver Wendell Holmes, a writer and physician who's developed surgical techniques that we're still using today. And you wouldn't have even uh, seen a birth announcement because his family was living in a cabin out in rural Kentucky. You wouldn't have even seen a birth announcement for one Abraham Lincoln, who would later become the 16th president of the United States and be a leader that kept the country committed to abolishing slavery and holding together the Union through the Civil War that would follow. See, in 1809, the only thing that anyone thought was really important was what was happening in 1809. Napoleon's conquest of Austria was the big news of the day. It was the thing that was occupying everyone's attention and everyone's thoughts. But today, it's just a blip on the radar screen of our history. And these seemingly insignificant bursts they have put into motion. Sorry, I just got turned way up now that I adjusted my microphone so it will stay on my head. But these seemingly insignificant bursts at the time have put into motion lives and events that have significantly changed life as we know it. At the time, they weren't really noticed by anyone because their significance was in their effects, not because of their seeming importance at the time. Today we start observing a season known as Advent. And the word Advent means the arrival or the emergence. And it's been a tradition of churches for hundreds of years. But let me be clear, there's no commandment for us to observe Advent anywhere in Scripture. There's no church law that we're under saying you've got to take 
the four Sundays before Christmas and focus on getting ready for Christmas, okay? That's not, that's not what we're doing or why we're doing it. We as a church choose to celebrate this time because at the heart of Advent is a season of anticipation, a season of watchfulness, a season to prepare our hearts for not just observing the emergence and the arrival of Christ in Bethlehem that day long ago, but it's also to refocus us on the hope that we have that his arrival and his emergence are going to happen again. And that's a hope I think we really, really need. And that we should be striving to keep in front of us all the time. Over the four weeks of Advent and into Christmas Eve, we're going to be focusing on a series that's being called Hope is on the Way. And the purpose of our series is to take this time as we anticipate the celebration of Christ's coming in Bethlehem so long ago to reawaken our need and our passion to hope in the coming of Christ that is still on the way. In the narrative that we read this morning, we see something that's almost paradoxical if you think about it for a second. Jesus, the Messiah who has come, is prophesying about the Messiah who is coming. That's a little weird. Consider it, okay? Seriously, think about this. Jesus, the Word who has made flesh, who is right there with His disciples, is telling them to be watchful and be ready because they don't know when the Savior is going to come. Now, I try to put myself in the shoes of the disciples here, okay? Especially because, especially if you think of like Peter and James and John. This is after the transfiguration. This is after they've been up on the mountain and all of a sudden Jesus started glowing. And all of a sudden Moses and Elijah were hanging out and Peter's like, wow, we should, we should do something. Um, I'm talking and I really don't even know what I'm saying because um, I'm so overwhelmed by what's happening. So maybe we ought to set up like some tents for you guys to hang out and and be holy together on the mountain? Is that a good idea, Jesus? And Jesus just kind of ignores everything Peter's saying. And, you know, and then you hear the, the, the voice from heaven saying, this is my son in him I am well pleased. You know, this, this echoing of what happened at his baptism happens again at the transfiguration. This has all happened after this, and now Jesus is saying, so be on your watch because you do not know what day or hour your Savior will appear. And if I'm the disciples, I'm going, hold the phone. Who are you then? Aren't you? I, I, wait, Jesus, I thought you were the Messiah. You're telling me to watch for the Messiah. Aren't you right here? Isn't this the time? Wait, wait a minute. Aren't you the one that we've been waiting for? We thought John might be a Messiah, and then he pointed us to you. Are, are you like pointing us to somebody else now? Wait, okay, wait a minute. Did you just say you're going to break into my house? I am confused. And it may be a little, I don't know, I guess it may be a little less confusing for us because we know the following chapters that lead to the cross and the grave and the resurrection and the ascension. But you've got to remember that for the disciples, they don't have that luxury that we have when they're having this discussion with Jesus. They're in the now, okay? And this discussion is happening in the now and they don't have the rest of the chapters filled in. All they have is the hope in the prophecies of the Word of God and hope in the man that stands among them. Hope that has not been fully realized at that time. But it's still hope. 
And Jesus' words to them are this. Your hope needs to translate into watchfulness and readiness. Is your vision focused by hope to see things the way that my Father sees them? And has that made you ready to respond to life in the way someone who's placed their hopes in me would? So you get the sense in the writing of this gospel that the people that Matthew's writing to and the people of the time had this great anticipation, this really pervading sense that time was coming to an end very soon. There was not much space between this day and that day. If you remember what we talked about last week and the idea of deliverance and, and how every day is bringing this day one day closer to that day. For them, that gap was not very long. The kingdom is near, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is coming again. Get ready, keep watch, don't get caught underwear. This was this huge expectation. And you see it in the narrative that Jesus has with his disciples. They want to know all the details of when and how this is all happening so that they can be ready for it. And this narrative of Jesus has to do with how to manage that expectation of the end. This day of the Lord, this time when Emmanuel, God with us, is going to become an even greater reality than it already is. Jesus seems to be saying that this coming is going to change everything. And it's not necessarily going to be a comfortable change. Which is something that we're going to come to in the later week of, of this idea of Emmanuel and God with us. Is, is We think that it's a very warm, fuzzy, exciting thing. But, but this idea of God with us is a very powerful thing. And it's something that should kind of set you back a little bit and make you go, do I really want that? Do I, do I really desire God with us? When in the past, the times when God has come down and been with people, they've kind of been like, stop, okay, thanks, that was great. Can you keep your distance a little bit now? That was a little too much with us for me. Well, we need to realize in this passage that Jesus is speaking. He is speaking out of having the whole vision of time laid out before him. And that he's offering a commentary on his own life and his own mission. There's a prophetic preview of what's to come. Again, he's not laying out a roadmap for comfort. He's identifying things of significance for the disciples. But moreover, there's a challenge that's being issued to the disciples, and I think a challenge that's being issued to us. Be ready. But be ready for what? Again, aren't you already here, Jesus? It's hard to find the takeaway in all of this for us, but I think it comes at looking maybe at the reverse of what Jesus is saying to the disciples and what it means for us to have hope now. Like I said, there was this huge expectation in the disciples that Jesus is with. The disciples of Matthew's time that Matthew's writing to have the same expectation. And this narrative is trying to say, be watchful and alert because the things that you think are important right now are not going to be. And the things that you thought were insignificant might actually be critical. You need to humbly walk in step with me and to keep your eyes full of hope so that you're ready. Because today might be that day or today might not be that day but regardless i am doing things and you need to be ready we have to apply this a bit differently i think because in our 
in our world, our problem isn't necessarily that we have this hyper expectation about Christ's return that we need to manage. Instead, I think we need to manage our unexpectations about Christ's return. It hasn't been a few decades since he predicted his return like it was when the Gospel of Matthew is written. It's been a few millennia, okay? It's been a while. And see, what I'm afraid of is that time has settled this expectancy down into almost nothing for us. We have our occasional apocalyptic scare when some natural disaster or some heightened political tension or, you know, some televangelist, you know, or, or whatever, you know, what ha- you know, we have these little spikes of, of like, oh, yeah, maybe this is the end. And then things kind of settle back down. And for the most part, we expect to wake up every morning and the world is just going to keep on spinning. And the world's going to keep on spinning the day after that, and the world's going to keep on spinning the day after that, and so on and so forth. See, that sense of urgency is usually nowhere on our radar screen. And I'm afraid that we've lost something that Matthew's church had. The hope that comes with that expectation that these words from Christ are actually going to pass. That he's actually going to finish what he starts. That what he says is going to come to pass is actually going to come to pass. That we've lost, that we have lost the urgency of that hope. That it's just kind of become this little mellow hope. That's just, it's just there, you know. It's kind of out there. We know it's going to happen someday, but it really has no impact on my life right now. And because we've lost that urgency, that means we've also in some ways lost our purpose. You think about how focused the church used to be on their purpose. And you think about how sometimes it feels like maybe church, like we're kind of like just spinning our wheels now. Why is that? I think a lot of it has to do with the loss of that expectancy that we didn't have very much time to accomplish the purposes of God before his return. And now we think we got all the time in the world. And yet Jesus seems to be very clearly telling me that I don't have that time. That, that I don't have the luxury of all the time in the world. That basically the only luxury I've got is right now. Today. And what am I going to do with that? Now, let me, let me back up here, okay? Unless it sounds like I'm getting ready to start putting on a sandwich board that says the end is nigh, and I'm going to start like, why? Okay, like that's not where I'm going with this, okay? But at the same time, where is the urgency? Where is the expectation? And where is the hope that whatever circumstance you're in today that may not be so awesome, it is not going to be an eternal state for you? Because the eternal state that God has planned for you is much better and is on the way. And, every, and like we said, every day is getting us one day closer to that day. And it may be a lot closer than you think. Think of, uh, um, how many of y'all heard the news about uh, Paul Walker this weekend? Anybody? Okay. I, you know Paul Walker? He's, a, he's an actor um, known for known for uh, the Fast and Furious series. 
right? Um, High-speed car chases. There is a certain poetic irony in the fact that he died in a car crash, a high-speed car crash in which his Porsche exploded. Okay, and that's not making light of it. That's just saying, that's ironic. And yet, you know, guys, guys, only a couple years older than I am. I guarantee you, he was not. He was not thinking when he went driving. I bet today's the day. I bet this is the end cap of my life. Rarely, rarely do we think that way. And yet Jesus seems to kind of say, look, whether, whether it's me returning to you or you returning to me, you don't really have as much time as you think you have. So what are you going to do with that time? That can either scare you or that can be the source of great hope. It depends on how you choose to look at it. It either comes like a thief in the night and you're trying to guard against it happening or it's something that you are ready and you and you are you are excited about and you are moving toward anyway and you're ready to embrace. Which one is it? The thing is is our faith proclaims Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again and these are the things that we hang all of our hope on. But what would it look like if we actually started living like that? How would the expectation of Christ's return change the way we operate as a worshiping community? Moreover, there's an underlying question that we have to ask with that one. Are we actually looking for Christ's return? Or are we comfortable with the way things are in our state of unexpectation? What do we want more? Do we want, what do we want more? Do we want that day to be this day more? Or do we want things to just kind of keep on spinning the way that they have been? Which one do we really want more? It's kind of a gut check question for us when Jesus starts talking about things like you don't know the day or the hour and you don't have as much time. If, I, if, if my hope is that things are going to continue the way that they have been, this passage is going to scare me. As well it should, because it it brings up a truth that I may not like very much. But if I am willing to place my hope in that however good or however bad or just however are comfortable things are right now, that there is a day coming that is different and is better and is more purposeful and is more hopeful and is more complete, and that that day is getting closer every day, If my hope is in that day, not in this day, and if my hope in that day is able to form how I act in this day, this passage doesn't scare me anymore. This passage becomes a cornerstone of hope. And that's what I think Jesus really wanted it to do. But I think Jesus also knew it would scare you a little bit. And that's why he says, get ready, be alert watch and that's the real question for us right we, we just saying at the beginning we've been waiting for this we've been wanting this this return of Christ this establishment of God with us but the question that Advent makes us ask is do I really want this have I really been waiting for this I think Jesus gives us two ways to manage, start managing our unexpectations 
in the form of two stories in this, in this narrative in Matthew 24. And the first one comes in verse 32, right before our reading. He says this, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, you know that summer's near. And likewise, when you see these things, you know that it is near. It is right at the door. Jesus is going to draw on some peculiarities of the local agriculture to make his point. The fig tree is kind of an anomaly in Palestine. See, it produces its foliage much, much later in the season than any other deciduous tree in the area. And so the, the time between a fig tree leafing out and the time when you harvest it is actually really short by comparison to most of the trees and most of the plants. And so the visual is, is that when all the other trees are full of the signs of life of springtime and they have all this life and growth, the stark fig branches are going to appear dead by contrast. But they're not, Jesus reminds us. They just haven't been revealed yet. And Jesus points the disciples and he points us in this illustration to this fact. In order for me to keep hope in front of me, I have to live in such a way that I'm reminding myself of the accuracy of my hope, even if I can't see it. Just because I can't see that the fig tree has blossomed yet does not mean that the harvest is not on the way. In essence is what he's saying. The prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament would say the same thing when he says this, even though the fig tree doesn't blossom, I will still put my hope in the Lord and I will still praise him. Managing the unexpectation of my life and the return of Christ means that I will willingly, even stubbornly, cling to the hope that the promises of Jesus are accurate and relevant to me, even if I don't necessarily see them currently being revealed in my life. I'm still willing to cling to it. Paul would say it later, hope that is revealed is not really hope at all. Hope exists sometimes in the very spite of a lack of revelation. And it is that faithfulness that Jesus is calling us to. It was given that, to, it was given that those dead-looking fig branches, late though they were, still had life in them. And it's just as much a given that these promises of Christ's eminent return, though they may seem late in coming, have every amount of power and every amount of authority that they've always had. Nothing's changed there even though it looks late to me. The other image that Jesus gives us to take back, take, gives us is to take us back to the story of Noah. Now, normally Noah is the example in the story, but in this case, Jesus makes an example of all the other people around Noah. And while Noah's building the ark, he's surrounded by people that are much like you and I. They're caught up in the moment. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're rolling on day to day like life was just, you know, happening. And they're partying, and they're enjoying things, and, they're, you know, and they have good times, and they have bad times, and they're just kind of rolling through the minute tasks of life. And Noah brings a different perspective to the people, that God has big things going on, that there's a plan in motion, and that you need to get ready for it. And you know what the response of the people is, right? They mock Noah. They ignore Noah. They dismiss Noah. You know, they call him a crackpot and, you know, other, you know, great, you know, I don't know exactly what the Hebrew name is for it. But, you know, I mean, they, 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 they basically say whatever and they keep going. And Jesus' words say that, that 
that they knew nothing about what would happen. And you need to understand, it's not that Noah kept it hidden from them or that God kept it hidden from them. It's not that they knew nothing because they were ignorant. It's that they just kept on eating and drinking and being merry and being blinded by the things that they thought were big news right up until the time that God shuts the door to the ark and sends the rain down. It's not that they were ignorant. It's that they kept choosing to look with their own eyes instead of God's eyes. Instead of the eyes of expectant hope, they were using the eyes of their circumstances. They forgot about the eyes that prioritize things according to God's fashion. It's just like the folks in 1809, when the big news turned out to be not such big news in the span of history, while seemingly insignificant things were being set in motion to impact the world. It's just like the disciples who are so focused on the pinnacle of the temple around them and the times that they're living in. And, as, and honestly, as pivotal as it is that Messiah is there to save the world with them, Jesus himself says, hang on, bigger things are still coming. As big as what's going on with me right now is, Jesus says, bigger things are coming, and you need to be ready for that. And I think that's the real message of Advent for us. Is that as big as things are right now, as, as big as where we are with church and with our culture and with our world and everything, God says, hey, bigger things are coming. And where are your eyes right now? Are your eyes fixed on what's right in front of you or are your eyes fixed on the fact that bigger things are coming? Because that's the seed of hope. Is when, is when it translates into being aware and being ready and anticipating and living lives of anticipation, living lives that are prioritized differently because we know that that day is on the way and it may be a lot shorter distance from here to there than we think because we don't know. And if all I've got's today... If I'm looking at the world's eyes, then it's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I may be wiped off the face of the earth. But if I have a hope in that day, then all of a sudden my priorities drastically change and I say, how am I bringing the kingdom one step closer to reality because I may not have that much time before it's all over. In our reading at the candle lighting this morning, I think it's interesting that Isaiah both sets Zion, the dwelling place of God in Jerusalem, as the seat of where Israel is and the place that they need to go to learn from God. All the other nations are going to come and learn from God and learn about God from you, says the prophet. But you also need to come to the house of God, O Jacob, and learn to walk in the light of the Lord. I think especially in this holiday time, in this Christmas rush, when there are so many hurting souls, there are so many negative emotions, there's, there's so much baggage that comes with the holidays for so many people, right? And, and in this time where the church sets itself up as saying, we have the knowledge of the reason for the season, right? Okay, we, we, we've got that. We understand that it's, it's, it's more... It's more than Black Friday, and it's more than holiday dinners, and it's more than rushing around and, and doing all these things, and, and, it, and it's more even than, than the joyous times that you spend. 
there is a deeper reason for, there's a deeper reason for what's happening here. And we set ourselves up at that, but at the same time, I believe that, that at the same time, the call to us is that we need to come to the feet of Jesus and we need to learn a thing or three about the hope that we profess to illuminate others with this Advent season. What will it look like for you and I to live with the expectancy of the hope that the Lord's return is on the way again? What will that look like? How would it change what we spend our time and our energy on this season? What's currently important to us that might become much less important? What, or namely who, is unimportant to us right now that would become more important? Those are the kind of questions that we have to ask ourselves. Those are the kind of questions that God wants us to ask, right? How would we be about the business of lifting each other up, as the writer in Hebrews tells us, not forsaking holding each other together in faith as we wait expectantly? Church, I believe it's time for us to dive into the world and spread the word of the nearness of the kingdom again. It's time for us to regain our eyes of hope again. It's time for us to allow God's spirit to help us hold fast to the promises that we may not be able to see, but we know we're there. And it's time for him to enlighten us again to what is really big news in the kingdom again. It's time for us to embrace these things, this Advent season, church. Because hope is on the way. Hope is on the way again.